On this week's episode of Ride the Lightning, the Tesla unofficial podcast, Tesla takes all three top spots in Car and Driver's 1,000-mile EV race. Legacy Model S owners are being faced with a tough choice on in-car connectivity. The Tesla Semi might finally be about ready to go into production and more. What's happening, friends? I'm Ryan McCaffrey, and this is Ride the Lightning, episode 312 for July 25th, 2021. To my left on the couch, Ed McMahon style, it's Daisy the Boxer, who celebrated her fourth birthday this week. Happy birthday, Daisy. It's been a good week. Uh, she's uh, She seems to do be doing well, and I have her next appointment coming up in a couple weeks where she'll get her heart checked out and see what her progress is, because it'll be the six-month update since she was first treated. This all happened in February. So in just a couple weeks, we've got that six-month update. Really, really, I'm excited for it because she's been, I'm not dreading it. You know, she's been making good progress. Hopefully she will continue to do so. Hey, before I get the show started this week, I wanted to give a shout-out to the loyal and clearly enthusiastic listener in the white Toyota RAV4 EV who spotted me on the freeway last weekend, pulled up alongside me, gave me a thumbs up, and then when I rolled the window down, he yelled, I love your podcast. I thought he was just checking out the car, which doesn't really happen here in the San Francisco Bay Area because, I mean, it's a good thing. Model 3s are everywhere. They're pretty common, but it turned out he was a fan of the podcast. So to that gentleman, I want to say to you, I'm not sure if you heard me, but I yelled back, you're driving a Tesla too. I, I kind of wasn't sure what else to say. I just thought it was pretty cool that he was a fan of my Tesla podcast and was himself driving the Toyota RAV4 EV that has Tesla batteries and electronics in it. If you're not familiar with this vehicle, it dates back to the pre-Model S days when Tesla had a couple of contracts with other automakers namely Toyota for this RAV4 EV, had about 150 mile range. And I think it was $50,000 at the time, if I remember correctly. And then Daimler, they had a deal with, and they did a smart EV in Europe. But uh, I just, that's never happened to me before. It's, <laughs> and I just, I could not help but smile at that, that uh, a listener would would flag me down in a polite, safe, but enthusiastic way and then yell, I love your podcast. So that made my day, sir, and I wanted to thank you for that. Also, stay tuned for the big quarterly earnings call recap and analysis episode next week. Those are always fun, and I can tell the Patreon backers right now, you're going to be getting extra early access to that one. So that'll hopefully be one way just on, on top of the regular week-to-week -week early access, you'll get even earlier access to that recap and analysis highlight show from the earnings call than you do for the typical episodes. But before we can get to that, we've got a whole other week of Tesla news to recap from this week. I want to start with this one. This is a fun story. Tesla sweeps the top three spots, the entire podium, in Car and Driver's EV1000 race, which is, of course, indicative of 1,000 miles. Car and Driver writing in summation, 
The plan was to benchmark the state of EV technology and the nation's charging infrastructure by road tripping EVs beyond the range of a single charge. By the time we got to the start line, we had the 11 vehicles from our EV of the year test staged for a 1,000 mile lap through four states, plus a name to prove that what we were about to do was twice as hardcore as the Indy 500, the EV 1000, end quote. Well, of the 11 cars, first place, if you're curious which Tesla finished in which order, first place in that race went to the Model S Long Range Plus. So this is a, a Raven model, not a new Long Range, but one of the, uh, you know, 20, 2020 on before, you know, 20, what, 2018, 2019, 2020, I believe, or no, just 2019, 2020 for the Raven, I believe. Anyway, so that took first. Second place the Model Y Performance, they did not race a long range, and third place to the Model 3 Performance. Again, no long range there. Now, as Elon Musk himself noted on Twitter, the long range, 3 and Y, would have been faster in the race overall, not speed faster, but they would have made it to the destination faster since they don't have big old wheels and sticky performance tires dragging their range down. I mean, I'm not sure if either or both the long range three or Y would have beaten the Model S anyway, but they definitely would have widened the gap between the Teslas and the rest of the field, which if you're curious, included a Ford Mustang Mach-E, that finished in fourth, a Porsche Taycan 4S, that was fifth, a Kia Nero, Audi e-tron, Volkswagen ID4, Volvo XC40 Recharge, Polestar 2, and in the end there, a Nissan Leaf Plus. Although then again, if Car and Driver were to do this very exact same thing again using a the aforementioned new Model S, just the long range, not the Plaid, the long range with the new battery chemistry, the faster 250 kilowatt supercharging, and its 405 mile range, the Model S no doubt would have won this whole thing by an even bigger gap than what the outgoing Model S achieved in this race. Car and Driver concludes here by saying, quote, Tesla's sweep of the podium makes it clear. If you want to regularly drive long distances in an EV today, you'll want a car with access to Tesla's proprietary charging infrastructure. Kind of obvious to anybody listening to this, but I say this with all sincerity. I hope this isn't true in five years from now, or maybe even three. I hope the other fast charging networks are able to close the gap because the quicker they're able to do that, if they're able to do that, the more it's going to encourage wider EV adoption. But hey, congratulations to Tesla here. It's the combination of their car's ranges, efficiencies, supercharging network, and supercharging efficiency led them to a clean sweep in this contest. Speaking of other cars in the supercharging network, this next story serves as a follow-up to the story I told you about a few episodes ago, in which Tesla is now soon going to be sharing their supercharger network with other electric vehicles in Norway and Sweden. So Elon responded to a post about the supercharging network by saying, quote, we're making our supercharger network open to other EVs later this year, end quote. Now, I suspect this is likely what he was referring to, the Norway and Sweden thing from a few weeks back. 
I would not personally immediately interpret this as a broad strokes thing that's going to apply everywhere, which is certainly a fair way to interpret his tweet if you don't have the context of that other recent story out of Europe. I could be wrong here, caveat with that, but I suspect that these two things are related. Now, if you ask me, it's a bit of a weird position for Tesla to be in here because on the one hand, Tesla wants to encourage more EV adoption. And if opening their supercharger network helps to do that, then it's good for Tesla's own mission statement that Elon is fond of repeating all the time. On the other hand, Tesla has its own rapidly growing fleet that the company's got to do its best to stay on top of uh, as far as the supporting infrastructure goes, lest services be diminished. Tesla gets a bad reputation for superchargers never being available, and then people don't buy Teslas because of that bad reputation, and thus it actively hurts Tesla's mission. So thinking about this, perhaps it, this something like this could make sense. Maybe it'll be something like only the 72 kilowatt urban superchargers will be open to other cars, so that on road trips, when you really need to have available chargers, there aren't Fords or Chevys or Audis or Taycans or whatever else taking up the spots. I'm gonna be curious to see exactly how Tesla handles this, because again, all we have to go on right now is the Norway-Sweden story and then Elon's pretty vague tweet. Because again, I do think that Tesla is in something of a delicate position on this. I, basically, it kind of made me think, well, you know, they took the time early on years and years ago to build out the supercharger network when no one else would. And it made me think, well, as the old saying goes, no good deed goes unpunished. All right. In Model Y news, Tesla's project to make General Assembly Line 4.5, a.k.a. GA 4.5, permanent at the Fremont factory in Northern California is now underway. This story comes via Teslarati, who reports, in February, Teslarati reported that Tesla was planning to make GA 4.5 permanent. The project would expand the Fremont factory by 64,000 square feet. GA 4.5 is a tent, or sprung structure, located just outside the Fremont factory's main facility. According to City of Fremont filings, it has been the location of Model Y production since February of 2020 when the tent was initially erected. In other words, the beginning of Model Y production. The structure was not supposed to be permanent, but Tesla has made it abundantly clear that this will be a long-standing part of the Fremont production efforts for the company. The February filings indicated that Tesla would attempt to add underground utilities like plumbing and electrical work, meaning the sprung structure was undergoing foundational work. Effectively, the tent is going nowhere, and it will be the site of Tesla's growing manufacturing efforts for years to come. The filing is listed as blah, 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 code name, code number, I should say, the city of Fremont's website says. Well, if it ain't broke, don't fix it, as I'm just throwing out cliche terms at you on this week's episode. I mean, but seriously, this structure is getting the job done on Tesla's highest volume vehicle, so hey, why not put a ring on it and make it permanent? I mean, my Model 3 was built in the original tent. They were doing the Model 3 performances out of there when the tent first went up in the summer of 2018. I'm not sure if that's still the case with the performance Model 3, but 
anyway, it's neither here nor there for this story. You have to remember, too, that despite Fremont Factory's size, there's not a lot of room out there anymore. Tesla has pretty well filled the footprint out there. So they might not have much choice but to keep rolling with what they have and making the best of it, which they are clearly doing, as this story is evidence of. The Model Y has now met and seemingly surpassed the Model 3 in production volume, so clearly it is working. Now, the only other future vehicle that's planned to be built in Fremont, as of we last knew, is the new Roadster. And so I wonder, physically, where is that going to go in Fremont? I mean, I'm obviously no manufacturing expert, but presumably they will not need a large footprint for that because those cars are going to be such relatively low volume that they can mostly be hand-built. Uh, I mean, I really hope Tesla starts doing tours again as a as sort of a follow-up note to this, and hopefully fairly soon now that the vaccine is readily available. But last I heard, then uh, again, this could have changed, but previously every owner was entitled to one tour per year. Again, though, I'm not sure if the rules are going to change on that in a post-pandemic world, either for health and safety reasons or because there are, quite frankly, so many more Tesla owners now than when the pandemic began, thanks to Tesla having an absolute monster 2020 and 2021. But regardless, though, let me tell you, if you do ever have the opportunity to tour the Tesla factory in Fremont, you've got to take that opportunity. I've had the pleasure now a few different times over the years, my first time being in 2011, before they started making the Model S. In fact, on that tour, I got to, well, it wasn't even in a, in a little like golf cart thing. It was a walking tour. And I got to, we got to walk through the paint shop on that one. Cause obviously they weren't painting anything yet, but, uh, I've also gotten to do it a couple more times in more recent years. And, and it's, I got to tell you, and this is going to sound like a really fanboy thing to say, but Hey, As I have admitted many times, I am a Tesla fanboy. This is a fanboy-leaning podcast, though I do certainly my best to try and stay objective as well. But uh, anyway, what I want to say is, I think the tour, in all honesty, it is, I found, I'll put it this way, I found it inspiring to see these cars get made because you see at the beginning of the tour, giant rolls of aluminum come in and then at the at the end, out pops a Model S at the end of the production line. It's really, really awesome to see it all in action. Literally awesome in my case. So do take that tour if you ever get the chance to do so. Speaking of the Model S, the original Model S owners, those of you who have 3G cellular connectivity in your cars which is basically, I had to look it up, anybody that has a pre-June 2015 Model S. Unfortunately, you folks are set to lose some connectivity features in your vehicles because AT&T is going to be shutting down its 3G network. This story, again, reported by Tesla Roddy, who says, due to the recent phase-out of older cellular networks like 3G, Tesla Model S vehicles built before June 2015 are still operating with the old MCU chip, that cannot connect to LTE networks. AT&T's decision to shut down the 3G network it has operated since 2004 is coming in February of 2022. Tesla tipster Sawyer Merritt says, quote, however, Tesla will offer retrofits 
for $200. And as we said, affected vehicles are pre-June of 2015. Uh, well, uh, in fairness, this day was inevitable, right? 3G is aging out. We all know that. We all have 4G and some of us 5G phones now. The MCU one is aging out too. We're seeing that with the upgrades happening. I mean, eventually Tesla will not be able to keep adding features to cars with the MCU one in them, just as they're now not going to be able to beam upgrades and real time data on the road to 3G cars because AT&T is shutting down the 3G network. So I will say, I hope that Sawyer's source is correct about that $200 retrofit because A, I find that a a pretty reasonable price in a vacuum, but for context, that same upgrade, buying the 3G to 4G LTE modem upgrade for your Model S used to cost $500, which even that at the time I thought was a pretty fair price because, you know, 4G LTE is quite a bit faster than 3G. So that was a, you know, okay, not bad at all. Now, 200 bucks, that's that's even better. Now, of course, the other way that you can get your 3G modem upgraded in your older Model S is to do that MCU2 upgrade for $1,500 because that includes the 4G LTE modem as part of the upgrade. So if you want to look at it as... You know, the MCU2 itself is 1300 and then the LTE, the, the 4G modem upgrade is 200 You could look at it that way if you wanted to as well. I think it's also worth noting, just, you know, you, you have a choice here. You don't have to pay the $200. If you choose not to pay this, that's still totally fine. You will be able to get software updates to your car via Wi-Fi, but you obviously will not have any data connection while you drive and thus you won't be able to listen to any streaming music services like Slacker, TuneIn, Spotify, etc. Nor will you get live traffic info. It'll basically be like you don't have the premium connectivity package anymore. So again, it's not like your car is going to stop working or anything like that. You'll just lose out on the functionality that has an always-on data connection tied to it. Next up, following up on my comments from last week about Elon saying that the full self-driving stack would soon be unifying highway driving, city streets driving, and complex parking, you remember that I had talked about how I hoped it would mean smart summon would get better. Well, this week now we know it seems it will, or at least that's the goal. Elon tweeted this week, quote, Current summon is sometimes useful, but mostly just a fun trick. Once we move summon, plus highway driving, to a single FSD stack, it will be sublime, end quote. So there you go. That gives me another fun thing to look forward to, because if smart summon can actually be useful without freaking me out every time I use it, I was telling you about that last week, that to me would be a very big deal. And Funny to me that even Elon admits that it's a party trick in its current form. (laughs) Go figure on that. But more seriously, here is hoping that it will indeed improve drastically. There's more from Elon on Twitter this week, though. He said, quote, auto detect direction, which this is me now inserting, in other words, smart shift, will come as an optional setting to all cars with FSD, end quote. Now, I may have said this on the podcast before, but after hearing this from Elon, I'll say it now slash say it again. 
and that is this. I would not be surprised at all if this is the first step towards deleting the stocks in all of the cars, not just the new Model S and new Model X. The prototype Cybertruck doesn't have them, leaving it fair to wonder if the production version is going to either. The prototype Roadster does have stalks and a yoke, but that prototype was made in 2017, which at this point in Tesla time is eons ago. The Cybertruck prototype obviously being much newer, two years newer, in fact. I mean, I at this point, based on what we're seeing Tesla do in the production space, I would be stunned if the final Roadster has stalks. It's just a question of whether or not Tesla is going to choose to remove them from the high volume cars. Because from their perspective, you know, we know Elon likes to eliminate as many pieces and parts as he can. Just financially speaking, Tesla would save a lot of money by deleting the stocks. Because even if you say, let's say each stock costs Tesla 50 cents per car, meaning a total of a dollar per car. Well, a million Model Y in 2022, which may very well happen, plus half a million Model 3 at least in 2022, and suddenly you've saved a nice chunk of change there. Now, as for smart shift as an optional setting on cars with FSD, I'll say that, sure, I'll give it a try. I'll definitely give it a try. And if it annoys me, I'll just turn it off and go back to using the stocks as I have for all three years I've had my car so far and all 25 years that I've been driving. But uh, if I'm correct here, I wonder what the timeline is going to be. Uh, not only on the the hypothetical theory here of of getting rid of stocks on all the cars, but but more realistically, just doing what Elon's talking about here of having the optional smart shift setting on any cars in the fleet with FSD. Because from the way he worded it, and I realize that I'm grasping at straws here, but my interpretation of his tweet is that it's not going to be one of those things that's that's coming anytime immediately soon maybe end of the year if we're lucky, right? Because we know they've got other FSD-related fish to fry first, meaning getting FSD beta 9 up to beta 10, up to beta 11 into more people's hands and ultimately releasing it to the paying customers. So smart shift, probably a little further down the list. Next this week, some sad news to report in the world of Tesla. This is unfortunate. The very first supercharger, which is the one at the Tesla Design Center in Hawthorne, California, outside of Los Angeles, adjacent to SpaceX, it closed to the public for good this past Monday. It is now permanently closed to the public. I want to thank Tesla Motors Reddit user JamesF10603 for posting this. And James posted a picture as well. There were signs posted on those superchargers there about a week ahead of time informing people of the imminent closure. Now, those same signs say that there's another supercharger almost directly across the street. So the good news there, it's not like people in that area are going to really be having any service taken away from them on this. And again, it's really sentimental here because this was the very first supercharger. I went back and looked it up. It opened back on September 24th, 
2012. So uh, just shy of its ninth birthday, it is uh, it is closed for good to the public. Now, as for the why, I suspect it's a security issue. I've had the, the pleasure of being there. Uh, that's where I interviewed Franz in episode 220. It was at the design studio. And I've also attended events at the design studio as well. So I, I've kind of been in there and you know, you, you, when you're, it's this whole weird little complex and SpaceX is literally right next door. So again, I do think it's a security issue, perhaps as much for SpaceX as it is for Tesla. But at least as far as Tesla goes, we know that they've got one of a kind prototypes that they're testing behind those design studio walls that they might occasionally want to drive around out in that, you know, in that little SpaceX Tesla area that's currently public space that, you know, for the supercharger, you know, and they've, they've probably got all kinds of stuff that's not fit for public eyes, not even necessarily entire cars like the Cybertruck prototype or the Roadster prototype or things we haven't seen yet, but even stuff that they're revising in a car, like a, like an interior refresh, something like that, that they might want to, you know, be taking out for an NVH test to see if anything rattles and, and shakes and makes noise that, that normal, you know, customers would just be milling around as it was with that supercharger there. And they don't want that anymore. But uh, again, I imagine Tesla and perhaps SpaceX as well just really doesn't want the public milling around there while they're trying to do their work. But it's uh, if you've never had the chance to go to that supercharger, I'm sorry you didn't get the opportunity. It was not that it was any sort of special place beyond the fact that it was the first one, other than there's a really cool, like almost a literal monolith there. It's a, it's a giant vertical uh not a monument, but a like kind of a sign, really, that says Super Tesla Supercharger on it. So that was pretty cool about that space. A bit more sad news this week. I, this is I feel like at least the fifth or sixth time that I've done this on the podcast this year, and we're only in July. The Model Three and Model Y prices are up again. The Model Three Standard Range Plus unchanged, still 40 grand there in the United States, obviously, is what I'm talking about. The long range Model 3 now up to an even $50,000, $49,990. So back to 50K for the long range. The performance, if you're curious, unchanged. So that's still 57. And the Model Y long range now up to $54,000 with the performance unchanged at 61 K there. So if you are interested in a Tesla, specifically a three or a Y, I almost don't know what to tell you. I mean, they're great cars and it's not that I don't recommend it, but if you're kind of looking at this, listening to this going, well, shoot, should I wait and see if this is going to, these prices are going to go back down at some point? Well, the answer I would tell you is they might, but the component shortage, I'll tell you, we did a story on IGN on this just today in, in the sort of the video game space, but it's all tied together. All these, these uh, you know, chip shortages and these components. So I think it's reasonable that it might apply to cars as well. And that, and that story is that the component shortage is now projected. It could go in to 2023. It could actually go through all of 2022. So 
I think, I mean, maybe don't take buying advice from me necessarily because I'm not a financial expert. I don't know your situation, but if you are interested in the three or the why, I suppose you'd probably want to order sooner rather than later because the, the price has, you know, 2021 has shown us the price continues to go up. So, you know, if you're, if you're on the fence, maybe that tips you over because maybe if you order today, yeah, you're not going to get it till October. You know, this quarter is sold out like I talked about last week, but the, uh, at least you might end up saving a, a thousand or $2 on it versus waiting till later to buy if you're, if you're thinking about doing something soon. But anyway, always feel compelled to pass those on, even though it's not my favorite thing to report to you. But let's end on some good news, shall we? A new report suggests that general production on the Tesla Semi might finally be imminent. This story, uh, this write-up comes via Teslarati, who first spotted it at Electrek. And Teslarati's report reads, While news about the Tesla Semi was dampened by the departure of former president of trucking Jerome Guillen, Speculation suggested that the semi-program was moving along nicely regardless of the executive's absence. This seemed to be supported by a recent report from EV blog Electrek, which stated that the vehicle's drive axle production line is now ready. Citing sources reportedly familiar with the matter, the publication noted that the semi's general assembly line was already through its final debugging stage. So first... This is just great to hear. This is good news because Elon himself and the Tesla quarterly shareholder letters have previously guided late 2021 on the Tesla semi. And this report now comes obviously here in July. So seems like late 2021 lines up. Now, second, I imagine that the semi has probably been locked down on paper for quite some time, but the Tesla has been able to take their time working on the production logistics of it because of, drum roll please, you guessed it, the batteries. I would presume, and that is all it is, it's a presumption, I reserve the right to be wrong, but presumably the holdup on the Tesla Semi isn't really anything except the 4680 battery cells. Because unless the plan has changed, we know that the semi is using four Model 3 slash Model Y motors, one uh, you know, in, in, the, in the back of the vehicle on each of the sets of wheels in the back, and probably as many other parts that it can possibly share. But the secret sauce to making a long-range Tesla semi viable is that battery pack and thus these next-generation 4680 battery cells. Now, I said this before, but... I wonder if the semi and or roadster may be a big part of the reason why the Model S Plaid Plus was canceled. That maybe Tesla decided it would be more valuable to use the 4680 cells that were allocated for the Plaid Plus to instead finally get the semi and or roadster into production. Tesla's going to have to be very careful about these early days of the 4680 cell production because in that initial window, supply sounds like, I mean, based on what we've previously heard Elon say, that it's going to probably be pretty limited. You know that, I mean, it doesn't take a rocket scientist here to know that the Model Y 2.0, meaning having the structural battery pack and 4680 cells, 
that is almost certainly going to be the highest priority when it comes to allocating 4680 cells, followed closely by getting the Cybertruck into production, and then the Semi, I would think, with presumably the lowest priority being the Roadster. So here's hoping that the cell supply isn't going to be limited for too long and that we can see Tesla have an absolutely huge year between now and next summer. I mean, think about it. We're in July right now. It's optimistic to picture this, but I think it's not totally unrealistic. In a year from right now, July 2022, Tesla might have opened two factories between now and then, launched the Model Y 2.0, launched the Cybertruck, launched the Semi, and and launched the Roadster. And if they can do all of that, that'd be incredible. If they can do most of that, that would still be a heck of a year. But that that was just a lot of dominoes that they've been meticulously setting up for years now that should be about to fall, and I love it. That's what makes this podcast fun. All of these new products that are in the pipeline, that are on their way, that are all different. I mean, the Cybertruck couldn't be more different than the Roadster, which couldn't be more different than the Semi. I mean, these are just all really fun things, for me at least, to keep track of and follow and have fun with. So stick with me. I'm here every week. You know that. And it's going to be a fun year between now and when all those products hopefully launch within about a year from right now. Well, that's everything I've got for you in the world of Tesla news for this week. But stick with me. I'll be right back with your Ride the Lightning phone calls from the hotline, as promised from last week, when I talked so darn long that there just wasn't even time for them. Well, there's time this week, and you've got a lot of great calls that you guys have sent in. So let's get to those right after this. This is Steve Downs, the voice of Master Chief, Sierra 117. You're listening to Ride the Lightning, the Tesla unofficial podcast. You know, that Cybertruck looks a lot like a warthog, doesn't it? Master Chief, out. As promised, it is time for your phone calls in the Ride the Lightning hotline. And again, I welcome and invite you to participate in said Ride the Lightning hotline. I try to get to as many calls each week, so please try to keep your call to 90 seconds or less. The two easy ways that you can call in are, one, use your smartphone's built-in voice recording software, record the question, and then email the file to me at teslapodcast at gmail.com. Alternatively, you can just call and leave a message anytime on the Ride the Lightning hotline. It's a toll-free number, and to dial it up, call one 888 989-8752. Again, that's one 989 tsla And if you know someone special with an upcoming birthday, anniversary, graduation, or some other special occasion, you can give them a unique gift of recorded voices from friends and family telling them why they're special. The recordings can be podcasted or put onto a keepsake. Visit lifeonrecord.com to learn more. Let's kick it off with Daryl in Houston. Hey, Ryan. This is Daryl from Houston. I'm a long-time listener, first-time caller. A few weeks ago, I encountered a couple at a supercharger in Victoria, Texas. They'd been traveling cross-country in their Tesla and using camp mode at RV parks. They made a comment that they didn't really gain any range overnight. Turned out that they were unaware that different NEMA adapters were available for the mobile connector. So they'd only been charging at 120 volts, even though the campsites had RV 50-amp hookups. So I gave them one of my Tesla handouts that I keep on hand they cover frequently asked questions about Teslas, such as charging. 
I pointed out the various adapters and mentioned that the RV50 amp hookups would use the NEMA 1450 adapter. I also mentioned I use the 1430 to plug into a dryer outlet when visiting family and have had occasion to use the 520 and 650 adapters as well. I suspect there are many other new Tesla owners who are likewise unaware that the mobile connector can be used with a wide variety of outlets with faster charging rates than the standard household 120 volt outlet. Also, anybody is more than welcome to download and modify my handout for their own use. It's available in my pinned tweet at Spiceware. There are two versions for each Tesla model. The versions for the Y are further down the tweet chain. Have a great day. Thanks for calling in, Daryl. I appreciate you mentioning this. Unfortunately, this is one area where Tesla could better serve its customers. Sure, the additional NEMA adapters are available in the online Tesla shop, but when you get your car, Tesla doesn't really give you, to the best of my knowledge, any literature or explanation about the various charging options that the car has via all of the available adapters. For a similar personal anecdote, a friend of mine just bought a Model Y. He was asking me some questions about it. Now, he used to own a Chevy Bolt, so he has plenty of EV knowledge, but for instance, he didn't know that there were V2 and V3 superchargers. I know you're talking about adapters, I'm talking about superchargers now, but just as a related anecdote. But again, this is a person who had a Bolt, had an, e an electric vehicle, and then buys a Model Y and has no idea about V2 superchargers versus V3s, what the differences are between them, and how to tell them apart. Again, Tesla doesn't explain this at all. I mean, sure, there's info on the screen when you tap a supercharger that either says up to 150 kilowatt max for V2s or up to 250 kilowatt max for V3s, but you have to intuit that yourself. To Tesla's credit, they have taken steps forward in the onboarding department with videos in the Tesla theater, both in the car and on their YouTube channel. But back when in the pre-pandemic age, when I would help out from time to time with new owner orientations at the Fremont Delivery Hub, that was my biggest piece of feedback to the Tesla team after sort of assisting dozens and dozens of people with, you know, introducing them to their new cars, which I did share that feedback with the Tesla team. And that was the onboarding needs work. I would love to see an interactive walkthrough the first time you get in the car where it is the live interface of the car, but it has help text and a UI walkthrough and a search field where you can type in a question and the car could search a database and give you the answer to that question the best it can. Hopefully that's the kind of stuff that Tesla will get better at as time goes on. The thing is now they certainly have the resources they are consistently profitable. They have billions of dollars of cash in reserve. They could enable projects like that. They could do that, those kinds of things, and I hope that they are. I hope that they will. But good of you, Daryl, to make that document to hand out to people. I think that's a great thing. That's one of the million reasons why I love the Tesla community and I love being a part of it. It's very supportive and helpful, and I've always enjoyed that, and I've always appreciated that about this community. Let me go to Anthony from nearby Brisbane, California. Not Brisbane, Australia, but yes, Brisbane, California. That's, I actually used to work there when I worked at Official Xbox Magazine. Their office was in Brisbane. Anyway, here's Anthony. Hi, Ryan. Uh, this is Anthony from Brisbane. Um, I 
called in a few times before. Um, I, we actually met once um, back in, I, I think it was 2019, at the Kettleman City Supercharger um, in what was, I believe, your first trip to Arizona in the Spirit of Adventure. Um, so I was in a Model 3 before, but I just traded it in for a new Model Y uh, to make use of that third row uh, for the kiddos and, uh, and the tow hitch for hauling bikes and stuff. Um, so really happy about that, super excited about the new car. But anyway, so what I was calling about was um, we're just about to take a family road trip ourselves to Arizona to visit the Grand Canyon in mid-July. And I was wondering if you could offer any um, tips or observations for the trip, either Tesla-specific or um, about the area or whatever you've got to offer. Um, and, um, yeah, just was, was just wondering if you had any input on that. Um Thanks as always for the great podcast, and I look forward to seeing uh, seeing that roadster one of these days. <laughs> um, give Daisy a big hug for us. All right, take care, Anthony. It is great to hear from you. I'm honestly not sure if I have any great tips for you that I haven't already shared in my own road trip postmortems on the podcast. And then again, by the time I've played this call, maybe you've already left for your trip. I apologize; it took me a little while to get to your call. But uh, now that I think about it. I haven't been up to the Grand Canyon since I was a little kid and we first moved to Arizona, but I do know from others uh, that, that are out there that I've talked to, including people in my own family, like my cousin Pat, who's done the drive, superchargers are fewer and farther between when you are heading up that way. Also, you will be dealing with a pretty serious elevation climb on that drive, which you don't really get when just driving to Phoenix. I mean, you do because we're at sea level here in the San Francisco area, but you're going way up to go to the Grand Canyon. You're going in the summer, so the weather should be pretty mild up there, which is good. And if you're wondering, wait a minute, did you just say Arizona, mild summer? Up in northern Arizona, it's not a desert, and it's it's actually pretty reasonable. The desert's down in the southern portion of the state where Phoenix is and then on down to Tucson. But anyway... Um, yeah, the weather should be mild as you're heading up to the Grand Canyon at this time of year, so you won't have to worry about cold impacting your range. But I would still say maybe give yourself an extra 5% of juice or so at each supercharger stop just for a peace of mind buffer. On the plus side, it's going to be totally downhill on the way back. So that's that's the upside. What goes up must come down. Safe travels. Boy, I'm just throwing out all kinds of cliches this week. I don't know where this is coming from or why, but I hope uh, nobody's playing a drinking game in which they take a drink for every time I drop a, an old cliche. In that case, it's going to be a rough episode. Anyway, Anthony, safe travels to you and your family and enjoy that new Model Y. Let me go down to Florida now and hear from Joe talking Cybertruck. Hey, Ryan, Joe from Florida here. Just had a comment about um, the side mirrors on the Cybertruck. Uh, from the last episode, uh, you know, you were kind of hopeful that the U.S. regulators would catch up and allow camera-based side mirrors. And I think this is a great idea for a lot of cars. However, for a Cybertruck, I think that uh, anyone that's going to use this truck for towing is going to want a physical side mirror and preferably a large extendable tow mirror or at least an option to add that on without uh, a weird aftermarket uh, device strapped to your nice Cybertruck. So just something to keep in mind. Um, I know everybody kind of wants all the new tech, but sometimes the old tech is what you want. Thank you. I appreciate your perspective on this, Joe. Thank you for calling in. 
I wonder if there could be a physical extendable side view mirror as part of a towing package maybe, right? Like something like that. Or to try to take it the other way, if cameras were to get approved, maybe there could be a repeater camera that took a wider angle look that could help while you're towing something large. I'm picturing something like the new Model S, how it has a, you know, fatter repeater housing than the other cars do because the rear fenders on the new Model S flare out more compared to the old Model S. It'll be interesting to see what Tesla's solution ends up being in either case, whether the NHTSA approves camera mirrors or not in time for Cybertruck production. Thank you as well, by the way, to Jerome, longtime listener and Patreon supporter, Jerome in Northern California for calling in with a very similar sentiment as Joe on this one as well. Joe happened to call in first. But speaking of Jerome. Ryan, this is Jerome up in uh, Northern California. Um, I was just listening to your podcast and you brought up the rear wheel steering implementation for the Cybertruck and it made me just stop the podcast immediately to provide this feedback. I think what makes this idea and implementation of the rear wheel steering so exciting to people like me is that for towing items, boats, trailers, whatever, uh, having rear wheel steering um, and having it dynamically adjust uh, both parallel to the front wheels and posing is that it, it adds and um, amplifies the agility of moving a trailer around. I, I don't know how many people are going to talk about that or have thought about that, but for anybody that's pulling stuff, um, I'm super excited to play with that because I think that'll be pretty darn exciting. Um, otherwise, I hear my dad's voice in the back of my head saying, it's just something else to break, but I don't know. They, they engineer things pretty well, and uh, I think it's a good idea. We'll see how it works when it gets uh, made. Can't wait for the Cybertruck. Have a good one. Jerome, thanks for the call and for the information. As I said, trucks are my weak spot when it comes to cars and my own personal car experience and life. I appreciate you filling in that gap for me a bit right there and sharing a key benefit of rear wheel steering. And I totally get that voice of your dad in the back of your head. I saw that a lot in the community when we were waiting to see if and when, turned out to be never, that the Model 3 would get an air suspension. There was one camp that said, well, it's just another thing to break because they referenced other cars in doing so. Well, the Model S and the Model X have had an air suspension for many years now, and they seem to be doing pretty well. Not that that necessarily means that rear wheel steering will be bulletproof on the Cybertruck like the body is, but still, any concerns there will hopefully prove to be relatively unfounded. Jerome, I hope you get your Cybertruck soon, my friend. Thank you, as always for your call. Taylor from Texas is up next. Hey, Ryan. Taylor from Texas. Uh, just wanted to give a shout out to you and Daisy the dog for my new Model 3. I just bought a uh, blue uh, 2021 and um, got it about two and a half weeks ago now and almost have 1,200 miles on it. Uh, so uh, my dog, Charlie, and I and my girlfriend have been doing a lot of traveling in it and just really enjoying the quiet cabin and being able to plug in at home, just super easy. Um, and I just wanted to ask you, um, has there been any word on, uh, or updates on the Texas EV, um, 
restrictions or anything like that. I'm, about two weeks before getting it, um, you made the announcement about, um, I think, a $400 EV tax, so basically like a, a gas Dodger tax, if you will. Um, so I was just curious if, if there's anything else on that, and also um, if there's anything I can do to help uh, promote EVs here in the state or anything like that. Um, I'd love to hear your input, and I hope you're having a great day again. And thanks again for always just being a great Tesla promoter and, and the awesome podcast. And I, I think it, it definitely helped me get to this stage. So take care and uh, give Daisy a pet for me. Bye-bye. Taylor, congratulations on your new Model 3. You're very kind to me, but honestly, I am happy to have helped lead you to something that you're really enjoying. That's what life's all about, right? That's what this podcast is all about. My enthusiasm, if you catch a little of that enthusiasm and it, and it works for you, then that's great. Now, to your question, there's no update on the Texas EV registration fee that I have seen, but I will clearly be on the lookout for anything. And as to what you can do, it's simple, but honestly, it's getting butts in seats. Give friends test rides, especially skeptical friends. If you're up for it, and you might not be, it's totally understandable, but you could even let them drive it. But a ride will probably suffice. Uh, the acceleration in any Tesla, whether you're a driver or a passenger, I'm not sure if you got a long range or a standard range plus based on the picture that you'd send along with your call. Either way, the instant torque is going to pleasantly surprise basically anyone that you take for a ride if they're not already well-versed in the world of Teslas. You could go to any local informal cars and coffee shows, maybe, uh, if you wanted to as well, and answer questions there and, and talk to people. So whatever you decide to do with it, enjoy the car, and thank you for calling in. Let me go next to Bob from the UK, who has a question. Go ahead, Bob. Hi, Ryan. It's Bob from the UK here. Firstly, let me say how much I enjoy your podcast, especially the upbeat and positive way you present it. I know it's not easy because I've re-recorded this many times. I'd like to share my unfortunate incident from the other day and a possible solution for any Tesla devs that might be listening. I was fumbling around on the screen and I accidentally pressed the trunk open. Unfortunately, as I parked close to a wall, it hit it. My suggestion is a rear sensor check and a second prompt, something like obstacle detected, are you sure you want to open the trunk? This certainly would have saved me some anguish. Thanks again and keep up the good work. Bob, I am very sorry to hear this. I can empathize with it. When you have something accidental and avoidable happen like that, it just makes you feel bad. I hope the damage is minimal to the paint and to the trunk lid. What you propose could certainly be done. Tesla created ultrasonic sensors that could see through metal for the Model X's Falcon Wing doors, as an example. They could put those in the cars. I imagine they have not for cost reasons. I'm not sure which Tesla you've got, but... The one feature that the S and X have that I'm honestly actually not sure if the Y and the new Model 3 that has the power liftgate have is the ability to set the maximum opening height of the rear liftgate. I went and looked up the exact procedure for this in the Model S owner's manual. This will apply to the X as well and probably the Y and maybe even the 3 
also if indeed those cars support it. And it reads as follows. You can adjust the opening height of the powered liftgate to make it easier to reach or to avoid low-hanging ceilings or objects, for example, a garage door or light. Step one, open the trunk, then manually lower or raise the liftgate to the desired opening height. Step two, press and hold the button on the underside of the liftgate for three seconds until you hear a confirmation chime. And that's it. That's how you will set, and it'll remember that setting wherever you leave it. So... Uh, Bob, I hope that helps you, and thank you for calling in. Next up is Alexander from Idaho. Hey, Ryan. My name is Alexander, and I'm 17 years old. I've been listening for a little over a year now and absolutely love turning on your podcast as soon as I get into my car every week. So I live in a town called Coeur d'Alene, Idaho, going the hottest emerging housing market in the U.S. by the Wall Street Journal. And with all this growth of new people, many of whom are from California, there is, of course, an increasing amount of Teslas in our area. Anyways, my father is a co-partner of the largest local real estate company here in Coeur d'Alene and has a property right off the highway in the car dealer district of our town. So, of course, he's looking for a dealer to fill it. An avid EV and Tesla fan I am, I threw out trying to bring them in. After our conversation, he decided to put me on the task of researching not only because he's, of course, inundated time-wise with our red-hot market, but so I can put this on my college resume. I've done plenty of research and am aware that Tesla doesn't have quote-unquote dealerships, but I visited one in Phoenix that was a hybrid of a service center, delivery center, and showroom that also provided test drives. Is Tesla still doing things like this, or is it purely service centers? No. There's a service center nearby in Spokane, but only offers service and is most likely inundated with customers. Also, who should I approach regarding a test like this? Thank you so much for taking the time out of your busy schedule to take calls like mine and provide us with such an inclusive Tesla sanctuary. I apologize for it being so long, but I couldn't think of a better person to ask than you, and I'm sure you will have an informed answer for me, as always. Alexander, welcome to the hotline, and hey, I appreciate you taking the time to call in. Well, this is a tough one. I don't know how the sausage gets made at Tesla on showrooms and service centers like this, meaning I'm not sure whether they do take pitches from the public, even when they're really sound pitches. What I can reassure you on, though is that Tesla has done exactly what you're suggesting before. They've done it. So it is feasible. Here, it was that Tesla San Francisco, which is not a big facility, was doing sales, service, and deliveries all out of the same place. But just a little bit down the way, just outside of San Francisco in a town called Colma, There was a very large vacant car dealership building and a huge lot that it was on, exactly like what you're talking about with your dad. It's a prime spot, by the way, on this sort of auto row. It's closest to the freeway and to the main road, so there's a ton of visibility there too. Tesla scooped it up, and now they do deliveries out of there, freeing up the rest of the the Tesla San Francisco facility to focus on just sales and service. So you could try to reach out to Tesla at tesla.com slash contact, or you could try emailing press at tesla.com, even though there isn't officially a PR team. Because really what you're looking for is just someone to see that email and forward it to the right person in the company. And then you just never know from there, right? It doesn't hurt. It'll take you, what, 20 minutes to write that email and... Worst case scenario, you're out 20 minutes and nothing ever comes of it, but you never know. Maybe it leads to something. 
Good luck, Alexander, and thanks again for calling in. One more caller for this week, and it goes to the name of someone who calls himself Cup of Cheese from Chicago. You got to respect that. That's a good online handle. To the Cup of Cheese, I turn the floor over to you. Hey, Ryan, it's Cup of Cheese from Chicago. Uh, huge fan since OXM and Unlocked, and now a future Tesla owner with uh, what I hope is one of the first Cybertruck pre-orders. Um, just looking for some insight on what the pre-order process looks like and uh, what sort of features to expect or add-ons um, and maybe even some details on uh, the financing front and how that works. Um, thanks as always and appreciate what you do for uh, all the respective communities. Wow, my official Xbox Magazine days. You have been with me for quite some time, so thank you very much for that. I am very glad that you have followed me over here to Ride the Lightning as well. So for better and for worse, Tesla often rewrites their own rules as they go. The way things were for the Model S and the X wasn't the same as how it went for the 3, and then the Y was different than that. But generally speaking, financing should be similar to what Tesla offers now. If you want to take a look at that, with one caveat it's unlikely that the Cybertruck is going to have leasing as an option when it first rolls out. Again, Tesla's always rewriting their rules, so don't take that as gospel, I can't say for sure, but what I can say for sure is that no Tesla has offered financing, has, excuse me, has offered leasing when it's first released. And I would think that the reason is probably because they don't need to. They always have backed up demand right at a car's launch. And the Cybertruck is obviously the most extreme example of that demand yet. So if you are planning to lease, that could be bad news for you. I understand that. But otherwise, I would say just take a look at how they do it now. I think that's really the best guiding principle. And uh, and I would say, too, generally speaking, it's fair to say that Tesla's financing rates are fairly competitive, but I would certainly advise that you shop around as well. For me personally, I was able to get a better rate, a better offer from a local credit union. Uh, as for options to your other, the other part of your call, we did not know what the Model 3 options would be until production was about to start after we'd had reservations for a couple of years. That is very likely to be the case again with the Cybertruck. So I hope that helps a little bit, and I hope the wait for your Cybertruck is not too long. Thanks so much for your call. Thanks to everybody for taking the time and effort to call in because you make this podcast better with your phone calls. I love this section of the show. I appreciate it, and I value everybody uh, for taking the time to call in. And for the people that don't call in, I value you for taking the time to listen to this segment of the show. But I'm not quite done yet. Stick with me. I'll be right back. I've got your pro tip of the week and a little bit more coming up right after this. Well, as for what's going on with me, I went through the roller coaster of sports emotions over the last couple of weeks. Let's see, what was it, a week, uh, one or two shows ago I recorded and the Phoenix Suns were up two games to nothing in the NBA Finals. 
And boy, did I make the mistake as a fan. I started planning the parade in my head. I was like, they've got this. I'm going to fly down to Arizona, see my parents, go to the parade. Phoenix hasn't won a pro sports championship in 20 years. This is going to be amazing. And then the Milwaukee Bucks beat them the next four games in a row. Tip of the cap to the Milwaukee Bucks. I want to, whether, you know, there's the, I know I've got my Wisconsin Tesla Owners Club of Wisconsin crew up there. Um, but yeah, the Bucks played a heck of a series. They did a great job. They earned it. They are absolutely deserving world champions. And thank you regardless to my Phoenix Suns for bringing us on a heck of a ride. I watched all season this year uh, after they got Chris Paul and what a, what a fun ride it was. But sad to end in, in uh, you know, heartbreak, but that's how sports goes. It was at least nice as a long-suffering Arizona sports fan we have one pro sports championship of the of the four major men's pro sports, um, but certainly no disrespect to the Phoenix Mercury at all. They've won three titles, so they are they are the gods of the goddesses of of Arizona pro sports. But as far as the NFL, NBA, MLB, and NHL, it's the Diamondbacks in 01, and that's it. The Suns have never won a title in 53 years. The Cardinals have never, they got close. They were a, a, one toe away, one tiptoe away uh, from, from winning the Super Bowl. But that's, that was not to be in 2009. The, the Diamondbacks, of course, their one and only World Series appearance resulted in one of the greatest World Series ever played in 2001. And the Coyotes have sadly never sniffed a cup since moving to Arizona. But anyway... That's what I've really been up to. I've been I've been really living or dying with the Suns over the last couple weeks. Uh, entertainment recommendation of the week. Hey, if you haven't watched Loki yet on uh, Disney Plus, I really enjoyed it. It was very good. It's uh, Tom Hiddleston's fantastic in the role. There was some really great sort of performances and really great just interesting plot lines with it that set up, uh, well, I won't say, you know, it's, it's, I mean, it's the MCU. Everything sets up something else. So I'll just leave it at that, but check that out on Disney plus if you have not done so already. How about a pro tip of the week? This one comes from James in the Bay area. Go ahead, James. Hey, what's up, Ryan? How's it going? James from the Bay area here. Just a uh, quick pro tip. Yeah. If you're in your car looking at the maps and you touch one of those red supercharger icons, it will go ahead and bring up that other menu telling you information about the supercharger, um, how many stalls are available. And you'll also see some grayed out icons there like a Wi-Fi logo, a shopping logo, a uh, coffee logo, you know. Anyways, if you touch one of those grayed out icons, it will go ahead and bring up all of the shopping around that supercharger. If you touch the coffee one, it'll bring up all the coffee shops or places you can get coffee around that area. Same thing with the uh, knife and fork icon. It'll bring up all the eateries. It's um kind of cool. Anyways, didn't know if you knew that. Just a quick pro tip. All right, Ryan. James, that is a new one for me. Very cool. Thank you so much. That's a really neat extra layer there and very useful too, I might add. Thank you so much for calling in with that one. And again, anybody else that's got a pro tip of the week, I would love to hear it. Dial me up the same way that you send in a regular Ride the Lightning hotline call. Something about the car that you've discovered that's interesting, that's a shortcut, a workaround, an Easter egg, something that's not obvious, not covered in the manual. Feel free to call in with it and you might be featured on an upcoming episode. With that, it is time to say goodbye just about. Just want to say hello 
and mention some friends of the podcast. Let me start with abstractocean.com, purveyors of many fine aftermarket Tesla accessories. Whether it's the tempered glass screen protectors for the Model 3 or Model Y, the rear footwell lighting kit for the Model 3 or Model Y, the drop-in cup holder stabilizer, all sorts of neat stuff. Get it at abstractocean.com. Just browse around, see what they got, see what you like, pile it all in your cart, and then when you get to checkout, use the coupon code RTL podcast to get 15% off of your first order. That's RTL podcast. No space in there. All one word. RTL podcast. Thank you, Abstract Ocean. And then, of course, everyamp.com slash RTL. They make the snap plate, which is the front license plate bracket for people like me that hate having to do a front license plate bracket. This one does not put any holes in your front fascia. It doesn't use any adhesive tape, any automotive tape. It's a nice bracket that snaps on and off in seconds, but it's secure. It's not going to mess with your paint, your grill, your radiator, your autopilot hardware, nothing. It is just nice and clean, minimal design. Really like the look of it. Get yours for any of the four Teslas at everyamp.com RTL. Meanwhile, my friends at Jada have their full family of products now from the, the Model 3 wireless charging pad to the, uh, the USB hub to the USB hub console, which combines a bunch more stuff into one product to the uh, Jada tray, I should say. Just There's no USB, it's just Jada tray, the uh, tech-focused center console organizer that is designed that you can charge your smartwatch on as well as your Apple AirPods or Pixel Buds and it organizes that center console. I've got one in my car and it's uh, really great. I like that product a lot. And again, the wireless charging pad in the three is probably my favorite aftermarket accessory. It's so good that Tesla realized, oh, we should put these in the cars ourselves. And so now the newer threes and Ys, and of course S's and X's all have it built in. But if you've got an older Model 3, you want to get that Jada wireless charging pad. The good news here of all those products, if any one of them sounds like it's of interest to you or more than one, I've got a coupon code that'll get you a nice discount. That coupon code is RTL. And the site to go buy any or all of that stuff at is getjada.com slash R-E-F slash eight. Jada spelled J-E-D-A. Finally, there is my Patreon. Oh, no, sorry. Uh, let me do Pure Tesla first. Oh, and Immaculate Reflections. Jeez. Boy, I'm, uh, I guess I must be tired tonight. PureTesla.com slash RTL, your one-stop shop for your dash cam and sentry mode needs. 49 bucks will get you a shipped free anywhere in the U.S. Pure Tesla kit. It's micro SD based, not USB flash memory based. So it is a long-term solution for the dash cam and sentry mode. I highly recommend this product. Again, 49 bucks for the 128 gig kit is probably all you need, but if you want to step up to the 256 gigabyte kit, that's $69, also shipped free anywhere in the US. It comes fully formatted out of the package and ready to go. You just plug it into your car and you're done. Works with Mac or PC. It is easy. They'll also ship worldwide. You know, that'll take a, a small fee if they have to ship internationally, but free shipping anywhere in the US. PureTesla.com slash RTL. And then, of course, I can't leave off Immaculate Reflections, purveyors 
of many fine detailing services, such as paint protection film, uh, ceramic coating, paint correction, whether you want to do one of those, two of those, all of those, whatever you've got in mind for your car, Immaculate Reflections will work with you and work with your budget to get it done and get your car looking its best and being protected. And they offer, of course, the discount for listeners of this podcast. So go to the website irdetailing.com. There you can get a look at Jeff's work at Immaculate Reflections. You can get in touch with Jeff there as well and book in with him for if you and or your car, well, we need your car for sure, but you too, hopefully, are either in the San Francisco Bay Area or going to be here, you're going to want to get your car to Jeff at Immaculate Reflections. I promise you, you will leave happy. Your car will look better than it ever has. If you ever see my car, you will see exactly what I'm talking about with this. All right, that brings me to the Patreon. This is, of course, the part of the podcast where I very humbly ask you, if you are willing and able to support my efforts here, I would sincerely appreciate it. You can find all of the information, all of the different support tiers and all the little perks and bonuses that you get at each tier. That's all on my Patreon page, which you can find at patreon.com slash Podcast. That's Patreon spelled P-A-T-R-E-O-N. Support tiers start at just five bucks a month and go out and then the you go up from there to like the ludicrous tier where you get the early access and the monthly mini bonus episode and you go all the way up to the maximum plaid tier that has all the bonuses plus the monthly Google Hangout with me and the other maximum plaid folks or there's even you know I've got the awesome handful of people in the roadster and space tier where in addition to all of that you also get a one-on-one monthly Google Hangout call with me if you would like that as well. So all I humbly ask again is that, uh, you know, if you, if you recognize the effort that I put into this podcast, and hopefully that's obvious when you listen to it, maybe at some point in time, maybe today, maybe sometime soon, you will see fit to support me on Patreon because that is what keeps this thing going at this point. So again, patreon.com slash Podcast. And uh, social media-wise, I'm on Twitter and Instagram. Same handle on either place, DMC underscore Ryan. The DMC, of course, because I used to own a DeLorean. You can email me anytime, teslapodcast at gmail.com. And before I go, let me say hello and thank you to all of those upper-tier Patreon backers, starting with that Roadster in Space crew. Thank you to Pete White, Lyle Austin, Steve Radspinner, my friend on Twitter, at Rodam, Fernando Cordero, Lawton from Chicago, Sean Neidig, Scooter Ward, Neil Weaver, Jackson Wallace, and Crafty Geek. Thank you all very much for your generous support. And the same goes to the Maximum Plaid backers as well. Jonathan Wales, Cameron Clark, Daniel Grummer, Seth Capello, Nick and Tony, Tesla Hitchhiker 42, John Schmidt, Stan Roth, Howard Anthony Smith, Charles Galpin, Ryan from Las Vegas, Darren Nickel, Kaz Barnes, Ulrich Lassa, Brett Libano, Patrick Wisniewski, Gil Cabrera, Hay Watley, Eric Brown, Mark Eversoll, Todd Badger, Joe Edgel, Kevin Yank, the Tesla Owners Club of San Joaquin Valley, Michael Williams, MT, Will Stedman, Tyler Smith, Mait Suaru, Derek Nesselrote, Justin Perez, Jeremy Harris, Chris Beach, 
Tom Mills, Alex Brem, and Matt Kalen. Thanks to all of you Maximum Plaid folks. And then certainly as well, the Plaid tier. Thank you to George Cassioppo, David Brander, Alexi Heft, Logan Willis, Jason Chalukas, Tim Hyde, Peter Chalet, Eric Randolph, David Nondahl, Jerry and Mary Smith, Joel Sapp, Dory and Steve Guberman, Jeremy, Tesla owners of Taiwan, Ron Lee, John Cody, Charlie Gillespie, David Perella, Sunil Joseph, Dennis Peake, Stig Mickey Jensen, Jeff Angwin, Chase Cabanillas, The Lydia Family, Michael Regal, Aaron Altschul, Jared Brown, Jerome Strack, Jamie Dalton, Noel and Lucy Murphy, the Tesla Owners Club of the East Bay here in the San Francisco area, Paul Casarino, Ryan Natchett, Mike and Barbara from Louisville, David J. Howes, Travis Krenzel, Matt Nixon, the Tesla Owners Club of Wisconsin, congratulations again to the Milwaukee Bucks, Jonathan Zelesny, Joshua Walker, and Rick Dean. Thank you to all of you for your ongoing and very generous support of the podcast. It really is what enables me to keep going at this point in time. So, for a Daisy the Boxer who was snoring a few minutes ago, I'm not sure if any of that came through on the microphone, but she's quietly snoozing away now. I'm Ryan McCaffrey. This was episode 312 of Ride the Lightning, your weekly Tesla unofficial podcast that, by the way, I believe next week, let's see, uh, yeah, next week's episode is date-wise the sixth anniversary of this podcast, because the first episode, if I remember correctly from the last time I went back and looked, I believe it published on either August 1st or August 2nd of 2015, so, man, it is, uh, that is awesome. Six-year anniversary, and the thing is, I'm having as much fun, I'm having more fun than I did in the beginning, because now I kind of know what the show is, I know what I want it to be, I'm not just kind of figuring it out, I've got an audience now that I didn't have in the beginning, obviously, you gotta start at zero, so it's uh, it's been a blast, if you've been with me for, I mean, how regardless of how much of that six years you've been you've been with me for, I know some of you, again, one of the most flattering things I ever hear is on occasion when someone calls in or writes in and says, hey, I found your podcast, started listening, really liked it, liked it so much, I went back and listened to them all from the beginning. That, I mean, that's such a time commitment because at this point, 312 episodes, they weren't an hour long in the beginning, but I would say over time, like if you were to, I guess, plot them all, I guess, the, the net average, I would imagine the average show length cumulatively at this point is about an hour. So you're talking just for sure, conservatively, 300 plus hours to listen to all of them. So anybody that's done that, whether you've binged it in a short time or you've just done it every week over the last six years, that is a significant time investment. And I am very grateful to you for that because, again, I say it all the time at this very end, end, end of the show, your time, in my opinion, is the most valuable thing that you have. You can't buy more of it. You can't get more of it. So the fact that you would choose to spend an hour or so of your week each week here listening to this podcast is very flattering, very humbling. I take that uh, it's I take it as a responsibility, honestly. I mean, granted, you know, you could just stop listening if you thought I was wasting your time, but uh, which maybe I'm doing right now. So I'm going to stop. 
But uh, again, thank you all so much. Six years and we're just getting started. So uh, happy electric motoring, everybody. Stick around next week, of course, for the quarterly earnings call highlights and analysis episode. Always a busy one, always a, a lot of work to pull that off, but I do have fun with the end result and I hope you do too. So I'll see you next week. I mean, I think a Tesla is the most fun thing you could possibly buy ever. That's what it's meant to be. Our goal is to make, it's, it's not exactly a car. It's actually a thing to maximize enjoyment. It's maximum fun.